morning, Foothill. Why don't you join us for worship this morning? Say hello to someone across the room. I searched the world, but it couldn't fail me. empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. Then you came along and put me back together and every desire is now satisfied here in your love. Sing this out, sing there's nothing. Oh, there's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing better than you, Lord. There's nothing, nothing is better than you. Oh, I know the truth, yeah. Oh, I'm not afraid.
good to us, God.
Love. 
Let's lift our voices now and just sing to him in the spirit. We lift you up. We lift you up. We lift you higher we lift you Jesus, hallelujah. We exalt you, we bless you, we honor you, we magnify you, hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Thanks be unto God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Uh -huh. Hallelujah. 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 <laughs> Hallelujah. As a scripture, I believe it's in Proverbs, it says, uh, the wicked flees when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. And, uh, you know, uh, it's good for us. There's a, a Bible story. I don't remember it right now, but anyway, my husband would. But it's something where when the enemy was coming, and if, it, and if it's not a Bible story, it'd still be good anyway. When you hear it, you'll agree. But, uh, you know, there was uh, enemies coming against the children of Israel. And, uh, you know, uh, you would recoil. Oh, my, that's such a great army. You know, that's such a, a great enemy coming against, against me. But the Spirit of the Lord came on who was ever the leader of that. And they were just like, basically, they ran toward their enemy. Uh, you know, I'll just, I don't think this was part of it, but it'd be good. Shouting praises and shouting the name of Jesus. So, do you remember what story I'm talking about? I will Google it. I will Google it. Google tells you many things, not everything. Anyway, praise the Lord. So instead of being timid and instead of running, when we see darkness approaching, because of the strength of the Lord, because we have the name of Jesus, because the greater one is in us, amen. We are the kind of people we run towards the enemy because we're filled with light. We run towards the darkness, hallelujah, because we can be confident he is with us, he is in us. He will never leave us or forsake us. These are days of glory for the church. These are days of glory for your home. These are days of glory that God shows himself strong on the heart, on the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, before you're seated, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to several people around you. We're going to dismiss the children to their class at this time. Praise the Lord. For those of you who are worshiping with us today on Facebook and YouTube, we welcome you. We know that you're going to be blessed. Thank you that you're they're participating this way. Amen. We're grateful for this medium. Hallelujah. Thank the Lord. Thank God for the presence of God as we worship him together. Amen. Uh, we have some friends of ours visiting with us from Omaha, Nebraska. I'm going to make you all stand up. Is that okay? Tony and Jeanette Finley, a few of you may remember them. Tony was our very first youth pastor at the church. It was, yeah, and they're pastoring a church now in Omaha, Nebraska, Faith Christian Fellowship. Am I right? Ay, ay, ay. People speak at our church, and they don't even know the name of our church. So I'm not that far off. One out of three, Faith Family Church. And they have pastored that church for 15, almost 16 years. I got that one right. So anyway, we appreciate them so much. They come out and um, vacation out here a couple of times a year. And so we often get to fellowship with them when they do. And uh, 
We're just so blessed that they're here with us today. Amen. Jeanette was our second, we were our second secretary. She was our second secretary. And um, Tony, okay, are all the youth out of here right now? He proposed to her after how many days? 12 days after their first date. I thought we were short. You guys beat us. But here they are. They're still together. Miraculous, you know, only because they both serve Jesus with all their heart. I don't know if it would have worked otherwise. Anyway, we're glad that they're here today. Amen. Uh, for those of you who are 55 plus, uh, the second Sunday of each month, uh, you meet. Well, I'm included in that group I know, hard to believe, but anyway, uh, it, they're going to go to Hickory and Spice in Orange. It's a great barbecue place. We haven't been there yet, but we've heard all about it. It's it's the big craze at our church, and um, and so that's where they're going to meet Star. Will you raise your hand in case? Okay, will you stand up, please, Star? If you have any questions about where there that is or whatever, please see Star or Joe. Joe is here somewhere. Joe's in the back raising his hand, and so see them, and they will uh, let you know where that is and where they're going to meet. Um, and now, um, next Sunday, we're going to have a church baptism here at the church, and we have kind of, somebody did this kind of as, oh, no, put that other funny one up. Do you guys have that funny one up? They don't have it. I texted it to you this morning. Okay, it's fine. Probably my husband, probably my husband wouldn't appreciate the funny one, so it's just as well. Um, anyway, baptism Sunday, next Sunday, after the Sunday morning service, if you would like to be baptized, you can get information out at the information center, and um, they will, uh, it will tell you what you need for that day. And then... Um, also, uh, the oh, then I'll let you know that um, I think for those of you who were here last Sunday, you knew that Alice Garcia went home to be with the Lord. It's good to see Ernie here today. Praise the Lord. We love you, Ernie. There's going to be a celebration of life service here for her next uh, Saturday at 1030 in the morning. And so the family would like you to come and um, participate as they celebrate Alice's life as we celebrate it together. And then the last thing, and I'm going to cue this uh, video. I need to introduce this video before you guys put it up. Uh, we're going to have our fall festival uh, Sunday night, uh, October the 30th, and we're calling it this year a family fall festival because we're uh, doing it for all ages, even if you don't have children if your children are grown, uh, then um, it's, it's going to be for you. We're going to have the thing, things for children, um, oh, uh, bounce house, all kinds of carnival games, uh, face painting, balloon making, and um, then we're going to have a, a dance-off and several different things that we're going to have. We're going to have a hot dog bar, and so, um, so there will be food for you. It's be from 5 until 7 on the 30th, and if you would like to bring a side dish to share, um, you may do that as well. We'll have tables set up, and just you can have a great time of fellowship, watch the kids, watch the various things that are going on. So we invite the whole family to this. Now, 
we were cleaning out the basement recently and forgot that we had an item down there that the youth tried out on Friday night, and it's called how many? I know many of you have seen a mechanical bull. Right, those mechanical bulls. We don't have a mechanic. Apparently, whoever got it years ago did buy the bull. And I don't know, they maybe Pastor Mike didn't like the idea of someone getting, you know, horned, you know, or what whatever. But anyway, we traded it in for a surfboard. And so we had that for the youth. The youth were doing that on Friday night and they had great fun. And so we want you to see what that is. And Ryan was our guinea pig. And so we videoed Ryan on this mechanical surfboard the, this last week. And so he's going to show you what it's like to be on a mechanical surfboard. Okay, run the video. There was sound to it. <laughs> it could go really fast, but they don't stare up. Dare stand up when it goes really. Did you ever try standing up on it when it went really fast? You did, and he can't do it. He's too old. Yeah, that's what he told me. I'm too old for all of that. Uh-huh, yeah, right. Give it a few more decades. Yeah. Okay, praise the Lord. We want to uh, receive our tithes and offering this morning. Uh, the ushers are coming. And if you uh, need an envelope, you can't find one in the seat around you, just raise your hand and the ushers will serve you. Praise the Lord. You can also give electronically and the information is on the screens. Hallelujah. We're going to pray. We do praise you today, Lord. We endeavor to live lives of praise, to live lives of thanksgiving, to live lives of honor unto you. In, in all that we do, O oh Lord, and in all that we say, hallelujah, for you are great. Your greatness and your majesty is beyond words, O oh Lord, for us to describe your great love, your great mercy, your great power, hallelujah. You hold us in the palm of your hand. And so with our tithes and with our offerings today, we honor you. We thank you that as we do, you open the windows of heaven to us and pour us out a blessing that there's not room enough to receive. Thank you, Lord, that you supernaturally provide for your people, for our church family, Lord, that you protect them, you provide for them and you fill their lives. Fill us. Jesus, you're the Prince of Peace. So we thank you that because of it, our lives are filled with peace. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. When you've been given the opportunity to give, would you join us for this last song? Will ever come close, nothing can compare. 
thank you, Lord Jesus. Father, we bless your holy name. We exalt the name of Jesus. We worship you for your great plan of redemption. Thank you, Father, for choosing us to live in these last days. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see with the eyes of faith the great things that you have yet to do for us. We worship you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to start out this morning in Luke chapter 4, verse 16. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the only time that the Bible tells us that Jesus read from a book in the synagogues. We really don't know whether to, to conclude that it says something about the synagogues or the cities that they were in. But these manuscripts, along with the one that Jesus was delivered in this story, were very costly because they were handwritten, hand-transcribed. So it could be that there was a wealthy individual that supported the synagogue in Nazareth that provided for these scrolls, these parchment scrolls. Of all the things that Jesus did and the signs and wonders and the miracles that took place in Capernaum, it never tells us that Jesus read from a book there. Now, Jesus ministered many times in the, in the different synagogues, in the different cities. Here it says in Mark chapter 6, you remember that, uh, that they rejected him. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 5, it says, and he could there do no mighty work. Doesn't say that he wouldn't, it says that he couldn't. And he marveled because of their unbelief and went round about their villages teaching. So there were other places that he, in the area that he did minister and taught perhaps multiple times like he did in Capernaum, but we really just don't know. Now, when Jesus read from Isaiah, he read from chapter 61, and I want to read to you what it says there that he took from Isaiah's prophecy 60, Isaiah 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to, pre to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening up the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, up to that point, that's everything that Jesus 
read from in Luke chapter 4, but it goes on in verse 2 to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all that mourn. So there was judgment associated with this passage that Jesus read, but he left it out. Now the Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus speaking of the end times, Jesus speaks of not only things that the church should uh, give notice to, but he talked about the judgment that was included in Isaiah 61. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, speaking of these things, Jesus said, when you therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let him which be in Judea flee unto the mountains. Let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is the field, which is in the field, return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child, to them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. For then shall be great tribulation such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. And except those days should be shortened, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christ and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. For as the lightning cometh out of the east, and shineth unto the west, even so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Now Jesus says some things earlier in the chapter that we're most familiar with. He talks about how that the Herod's temple shall be destroyed and not one stone left upon another. And that was fulfilled in, in A.D. 70 when the Romans sacked the city of Jerusalem. But here Jesus is talking about the abomination of Daniel. And without taking time to go back and read it, Daniel said a lot about the Antichrist and about end times. And one of the things that he said was that the Antichrist would exalt himself above all gods. Jesus knows that that means in the temple. The Bible tells us, and actually, maybe it'd be good for you to turn with me to Second Thessalonians, chapter three, I think it is. No, it's chapter two. Second Thessalonians, chapter two, verse three: let no, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worship. So that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was with you, I told you these things. So Paul is reminding the Thessalonians what he taught them about the temple. 
Jesus knew that the temple would be destroyed. But Paul is talking about the operation of the temple that takes place during the last days. Now, whether Paul realizes that that's going to be a different temple than Herod's temple, there's no way to tell. Because this was written by Paul somewhere around 64 A.D., maybe 63. We know that Paul was killed, martyred, beheaded in, uh, in 64. And so this would have been one of the last things that he wrote, perhaps. But Jesus certainly would know that when he talks about the abomination of the temple that Daniel describes, he would know very clearly that it would be a different temple. His disciples didn't seem to catch on to that. They didn't make the association of a new temple. But the Bible indicates that the temple worship shall be continuing in these last days or the days of tribulation. Now, folks, there's things associated with the Temple Mount. In our lifetime, the Temple Mount is considered to be the, the location or the events leading up to what would be World War III. There have always been elements uh, in the Jews, the Jewish community, about the need to restore the temple. And I remember in the 80s, 1980s, there were some attempts made by certain ones to blow up the Dome of the Rock to set the stage for rebuilding the temple. And it's always been a powder keg between the Jews and the Arabs concerning the temple and uh, allowing it to be rebuilt and so forth. So it would stand to reason that the enemies of the Jews, and I'm speaking specifically about the Arab nations uh, in the Middle East and surrounding locations as well, it's always been a struggle, a push and pull relationship that would have to be resolved in order for the Jews to rebuild their temple. We've talked to some degree about the Temple Mount Institute who have for years been working to rebuild the, the elements, meaning the, the furniture of the temple. They claim to have the Ark of the Covenant, not one that they reconstructed, but the Ark of the Covenant, the one. Now, you may remember that Solomon's temple was built off-site so that when everything was brought in, these great stones onto the place where the temple was built, the first temple was built so that it, they put it together kind of like a jigsaw puzzle so that the, the phrase that the King James the Bible uses, I believe, 
is it so there was no sound of the hammer associated with the construction of the temple. Well, the Temple Mount has done basically the same thing. They built all the elements to all the furniture off-site so that it was just simply take the transportation of these things onto the, the side of the temple and put it together just like Solomon did. But one of the things that doesn't gain a lot of attention unless you're a researcher and dig in to find out about this, there's disagreement on where the Temple Mount stood. Uh, there's disagreement on where the temple stood. The traditional place is the Dome of the Rock on the Temple Mount. But there's compelling evidence to consider that it was built in the city of David, which is south of the Temple Mount, a very short distance away. This is going to have to be resolved between the Jews. And it's going to take two things, in my opinion. It's going to take peace between the Jews and the Arabs for the construction to, to be made regardless of where they put the temple. But then the second thing is there's going to have to be some kind of discovery or some spe specific, in my opinion, supernatural event or discovery that locates the temple, identifies the location of the temple beyond any doubt to satisfy in order to satisfy the Jews on where it would be built. One thing that's strange to me is why David, who prepared the temple, Solomon's temple, he prepared a lot of the things for it. And then when Solomon began to reign as king, he took over and, and began the construction of the temple or continued to disrupt the construction of the temple, why would David have put the temple location outside of the walls of his own city? So there are things to consider. It's not just cut and dried, absolute, absolutely known about where the temple would be reconstructed. There are many things that are taking place that are waking the Jews to the times that we live in. And one of the things is this red heifer situation. The red heifer is required to be burnt and the ashes used for purification of the, the priest to minister in the temple, but also for the city of Jerusalem to be purified. This red heifer is supposed to be sacrificed after the heifer is two years old. And you may have seen in the news that the red heifer, five red heifers have been delivered to Israel 
for the purpose of purification as the Bible instructed. Now these red heifers have been burned only nine times throughout history. And the Jews believe that the red heifer, the tenth red heifer will be the last one and that it will be associated with the Messiah. And since the Jews don't believe in Jesus as the Messiah, they're looking for the second coming or what they call the appearance of the Son of God. That event takes place, we know, we the church, know that that event takes place at the end of the tribulation period, the seven years of tribulation. So when Jesus is telling them these things that we read in Matthew chapter 24, he's talking about the experience of the Jews that are not part of the, the kingdom of God through Jesus, but primarily the nation of Israel and the tribulation that will take place, specifically the persecution that will come on them during the last half of the tribulation period. The Antichrist, John's revelation tells us that the Antichrist sets himself in the temple, seats himself and claims to be God at the halfway point of the tribulation period. So we've got some things that are taking place that are beginning to open the eyes of many of the Jews. And then we know of World War III that does take place that's identified by Ezekiel 38 and 39. Russia joins with Iran and a host of Muslim companies, predominantly Muslim nations, to attack Israel from the north through Syria, the mountains of Syria. And God destroys those armies in one 24-hour period of time. But not just the armies that come against Israel are destroyed. The Bible tells us that great well, it calls it hail mixed with fire, falls on all these countries that are part of this coalition army that attacks Israel. And it tells us specifically that it leaves but the sixth part, one-sixth of those nations, only one-sixth of the people survive. If you do the math, that works out to about 17% of all these Muslim nations that join themselves with Russia and Iran to support the destruction of the nation of Israel. Well, after that takes place, after all those Muslim nations are destroyed, peace is the order of the day and begins at that point. And so the Jews would be unencumbered and there would be no resistance to them rebuilding the temple. But again, there are things that have to be worked out, like where was it supposed to be? Where is it located? Where was the first and second temple, Solomon's temple? And then the second temple that was 
overseen by Ezra and Nehemiah. And that was the temple that was improved, upgraded, however you want to say this, by Herod the Great. And so the Jews are planning for a temple to be rebuilt. And it sounds from Scripture like it shall happen, specifically will happen, and it will take place in the early days, the very early days, maybe the earliest day of the tribulation period. Something's going to have to be discovered or revealed or something to settle the dispute on where the temple should be rebuilt. And it's going to have to be a convincing and final word on the subject, so to speak, because the temple can't be built in a different place and satisfy the requirements for the temple to be useful for God. There's a lot of people that I know that have been very discouraged by the rapture not having taken place already. I'm talking about ministers. I'm talking about scholars regarding end-time events. The Bible talks about seven years, a seven-year cycle. Whereas, and maybe I should read this from Leviticus chapter 25. The Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, When you come into the land which I give you, then shall the, hand, the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. Six years shalt thou sow thy field, and six years shalt thou, shalt thou Six years thou shalt prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit thereof. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath of the Lord. Thou shalt neither sow thy field nor prune thy vineyard. That which groweth of its own accord of thy harvest shall not, thou not reap, neither gather the grapes of thy vine undressed, for it is a year of rest unto the land. This seven-year cycle that it talks about is six years of working the ground, producing fruit, and so forth. But the seventh year is supposed to be a year of rest. It's called the Shemitah year. And this last year, in the Jew according to the Jewish calendar, which ended on September 25th, 2022, that was the seventh year. And so many people were looking at the seventh year as being the time when Jesus would come back for the church. And if they're correct, and this is the discouraging part to them, if they're correct on that, and the Bible's pretty clear to hint in that direction, then the next available time for the rapture would be 2029. But you've got the red heifer 
that has been examined to this point, which is just a little over a year old. So should this red heifer continue to be completely red, meaning no whiskers that were brown or, or black or white, if it continues to be suitable for the offering and the burnt sacrifice, then they would have to keep producing red heifers until this 2029 into the next Shemitah cycle would be. But there's one thing that the people that I know aren't taking into effect. And it's that which is written in Leviticus chapter 25, a little bit further into the chapter. Let's continue reading or pick up with verse 8. And thou shalt number seven Sabbaths of years unto thee, seven times seven years, and the space of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be unto thee forty and nine years. Then shalt thou cause the trumpet of the jubilee to sound on the tenth day of the seventh month. In the day of atonement shall you make the trumpet sound throughout all your land. And you shall hallow the fiftieth year and proclaim liberty throughout all the land under the inhabitants thereof. It shall be a jubilee unto you, and you shall return every man unto his possession. And you shall return every man unto his family. A jubilee shall be the fiftieth year unto you. You shall not sow, neither reap that which is growth of it, groweth of itself in it, nor gather the grapes in it of thy vine undressed. For it is the jubilee, it shall be holy unto you. You shall eat the increase thereof out of the field. In the year of this jubilee, you shall return every man his possession. And if thy self ought unto thy neighbor, or buyest ought of thy neighbor's hand, you shall not oppress one another. According to the number of years after the jubilee shalt thou buy of thy neighbor, and according to the number of years of the fruits he shall sell it unto thee. According to the multitude of years thou shalt increase the price thereof, and, accord, and according to the fewness of years shalt thou diminish the price of it, for according to the number of the years of the fruits does he sell unto thee. You shall not therefore oppress one another, but thou shalt fear thy God. I am the Lord your God. Skip down to verse 21, or verse 20. And if you shall say, What shall we eat the seventh year? Behold, we shall not sow nor gather in our increase. Then I will command my blessing upon you in the sixth year, and it shall bring forth fruit for three years. And you shall sow the eighth year, and eat yet of old fruit until the ninth year. Until the fruits come in, you shall eat of the old store. At the end of the seventh seven-year period, the year of Jubilee is proclaimed. It's proclaimed on the Day of Atonement, which was last Wednesday. And this Jubilee is designed to bring people into freedom. Remember, Jesus spoke of being anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, to set at liberty them that are bruised, and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. This acceptable year of the Lord is the year of Jubilee. 
Now, there are things that are profitable for us to consider. And that is, one of the things is, Jesus' first year of ministry here on the earth was during one of these Shemitah years, one of these years of rest. And it enabled people to travel. In this case, I'm talking about travel to go along with Jesus and his company. You remember the feeding of the 5,000 came about as a result of the people that had followed him for three days without anything to eat. Well, where would those 5,000 men come to the realization of following Jesus' ministry? You can't imagine that 5,000 people in a nation as small as Israel would neglect their duties to provide a living for their families and so forth. But this is one of those seven years, seven of the seven-year cycles that God used to proclaim the, the goodness and the Messiah activities of Jesus to the people. One of the things that's stirring in my heart about this, I really don't know if it's actually the year of Jubilee for Israel. I've read some accounts of people that say that it is, but I've read other accounts that disagree with that. And to be real honest with you folks, the Jewish calendar is a mess. There are some that claim to have it figured out precisely down to the birth date of Jesus using this Jewish calendar method. They've identified that Jesus was born on September the 11th. Three, uh, three, uh, year 3 B.C. I don't know what it would take to bring that kind of confidence to identify specific years or specific days of these things. So I'm going to leave that to people that know more than I do. But folks, there's certain scriptures that identify God's operation concerning end-time events in this world. One of the scriptures that have always bothered me is that the Bible says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. And the Bible says that twice. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. When is the wealth of the wicked going to be laid up for the just? When is the wealth of the wicked going to come into the hands of the just, meaning the righteous, meaning the church? There has to be some time, some time frame identified for that to take place. 
unless it's just talking about a general uh, situation or, or specifics where the wealth of the world is available for Christians as well as non-Christians. But I don't believe the Bible would emphasize that. I don't believe the Bible would place an emphasis on the wealth of the wicked being laid up for the just unless there was some kind of transfer of wealth that takes place before Jesus returns. I don't know about you, but I'm not willing to stay for the tribulation just for the wealth of the world. But the Bible says Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. It seems to me that the glorious church that Jesus is coming back for, there's no time that it would be more glorious than the time that we identify as the year of Jubilee. You'll notice several times it talked about not oppressing one another. The information about buying and selling during the year of Jubilee is to value the land as if it were not the year of Jubilee, but to give a fair price no matter what the condition of the land is at that point in time. We know that freedom is what Jesus came to deliver to the people. Some received it and some didn't based on their own individual circumstances. But one of the things that I found staggering is that you can never find a place in the ancient writings and certainly not in the Bible where Israel experienced a year of jubilee. There is absolutely no record in the Bible of Israel experiencing or living through one of these jubilee years. And why is that? Well, one of the things that we might consider, you may remember in the, the law of Moses, if a man dies and leaves his wife and or children, his brother was commanded to take his brother's wife and to provide for her. But there are times that we have record of and know for sure that the brothers refused to do that. Well, without somebody to make a living for and provide for, these widows and children would many times be sold into slavery. They would lose all the possessions that they might have had, including lands. And they themselves would be sold into servitude. Well, those that are sold into servitude, their social status instantly changes. They wouldn't mix and mingle 
with the people that they used to when the father was alive, but rather they would mix and mingle with other servitude, other families that are in servitude as well. But where the Bible says not to oppress your neighbor, it means don't take advantage of people that have found themselves in those difficult times. The Jews have something that they call ethical capitalism. And they believe that the result of capitalism should be to lift everyone, not to have a, a rich upper class and a lower class, but that everybody profits in some equal measure through the capital system, capitalist system. Now we're more familiar with people using capitalism to better themselves at the expense of others, but that's not what God intended from the beginning. We stopped reading there in Leviticus chapter 25, but there's a verse of scripture further on in the chapter where God says the land shall not be sold. In other words, the land should not leave the possession of the Jews because God says the land is mine. So we hear some of these two-state solutions that have been fostered and supported by different American administrations, but they never do come to pass, and they never will come to pass because God said the land is his. If the land is his, then it's his to give to who he wants, and he gave it to the ones that he wanted, which is the Jews. So you're never going to see any of these two-state solution options come to fruition because God will stop it and see that it doesn't see that the land doesn't leave the hands of the Jews. Now there have to be some people that took advantage of the Jewish calendar, the year of Jubilee. There have to be some who honored God and obeyed God individually. But as a nation, Israel never experienced this year of Jubilee. They never trusted him to provide, as he said that he would, these three years of harvest in one year. So I'm declaring a year of jubilee for our church. I believe that in this next year that it will be a year of manifestations of the Holy Ghost to set people free. It'll be a year of the manifest presence of God to set people free. 
It'll be a year of revelation. Because Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Knowledge of the truth of God's word makes you free. So it stands to reason that we would gain greater revelation in a year of jubilee to benefit everyone that hears. I believe this coming year will be a year of financial miracles, specifically the wealth of the wicked being laid up for the just. I believe it will be a year of healing to break the bondage of the devil and to set God's people free. I believe that the year of Jubilee is ours. Now, how does that fit in with other prophecy? There's nothing that I can see that would stop or hinder the church from being glorious in the last days because that's what Jesus is waiting for. He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth, a glorious church. I believe that we entered in beginning Wednesday, this last Wednesday, I believe we entered into a year of Jubilee. Now, somebody might say, well, if we entered into a year of Jubilee, how come nothing happened? Because we haven't mixed faith with it. Perhaps we didn't know. But now that we know, it's up to us to put our faith in what the Bible says God will do. I believe we have, our, have begun in our own year of Jubilee. Now, what if we're wrong? Well, if we're wrong, we still extend our faith toward God and he'll answer our faith based on the truth of his word. I don't know if this fits in with the Hebrew calendar. Like I said, there are some that have shown and proven through their own means and methods that this is a year of jubilee, year that we've entered into. But I'm not putting my faith on that. I'm putting my faith on the fact that Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. If he's coming back for a glorious church, then I believe we're going to have to see a greater measure of glory than the church has exhibited up to this point. If Jesus is coming back for a glorious church and there's no increase in the glory of God in this year of Jubilee, what we're calling a year of Jubilee, then why is he waiting already? Why has he not come? But on the other hand, if he is waiting for the church to increase in glory, then this would fit in with his plans. 
there's an increase. I don't know how to measure it or how to accurately describe it, but there's an increase in certain sections of the Jewish community that recognize that it's time for the Messiah to come. As I mentioned, this red heifer situation has been used nine times. Beginning with the erection of Solomon's temple, the building of Solomon's temple, and then used also in connection with the second temple, Ezra and Nehemiah's temple. And there's only 10 red heifers that are expected by the Jewish orthodoxy. And now they have five red heifers that they'll continue to inspect over the next year. for the purpose of the purification of the temple and the city of Jerusalem. I believe we're entering, I believe we have entered into a year of Jubilee. How do you close a service like this? What does that mean? Well, it means first and foremost that we put our faith on God's word. Don't put your faith in what I'm saying. Put your faith in God's word. For example, don't just believe that there are financial miracles. This will be a time of financial miracles because I said so, said that I thought so. Instead, put your faith in the truth of the word where it says the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. Don't put your faith in what I said about a, being a year of healing. Instead, put your faith on the fact that Jesus was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Don't put your faith in what I said, I believe, about manifestations of the Holy Ghost. But instead, put your faith in what Zechariah 10, verse 1 says. Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain, and so he shall make bright clouds or lightnings and give them showers of rain to everyone grass in the field. Folks, those showers of rain have to be manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Because the Bible says the Holy Ghost comes to us like the rain. So showers of rain would have to be showers of spiritual gifts. Don't put your faith in what I say I believe. Put your faith in God's word that can always be relied upon. But I do believe
that we have entered into a year of jubilee. I believe it'll be the greatest year in the history of the church. I believe it'll be a year of signs and wonders and miracles. I believe it'll be a year that brings us closer to God and sweeps millions of people into the kingdom of heaven. I believe we've begun, begun, entered into a year of jubilee. According to the plan and the purpose of God, that we might accomplish his will here on the earth. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you for increased revelation. Magnified revelation. So that we might walk worthy of who Jesus died for us to be. Open our eyes, Lord, that we may see and know the truth like never before. We trust in you, Father. And when the world looks upside down because of the turmoil that we're in. We shall be kept in your perfect peace because we trust in you. Glorify your name, Father. Glorify the name of the, your son, Jesus. We thank you, Father, for our year of Jubilee. Whether anybody else does or doesn't believe or trust in your word concerning these things, we thank you for leading us into glory, leading us into financial miracles, healing miracles, manifestations of your spirit so that your people would be oppressed no more. We love you, Father. We thank you for opening our eyes to the truth. We thank you, Father. For your glory we shall not take any glory unto ourselves we shall simply magnify the name of Jesus Father you said if we believe in you and your word abides in us we shall ask what we will and it shall be done unto us we ask you for the glory of God to be made manifest 
in this next year. Unlike anything we've ever seen or heard of, we thank you for hearing us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Say it with me. Thank God for the year of Jubilee. Amen. Amen. God bless you, folks.